Thank you, Eric and Marianne. Happy Mother's Day to uh, all of the mothers who are joining us here today in person and uh, online. We're so thankful for uh, all that you do and uh, delight in the opportunity to celebrate and thank you uh, today. Can everyone, can everyone hear me okay in the auditorium? Can you hear me okay in the different zones around the, uh, around the building right now? Can you hear me okay at home? How's your, how's your hearing? Are you having a hard time uh, listening these days? You know, you, you go to Tim Hortons to order a coffee, and the person working there, they've got the face mask on, and then the face shield, and then they're standing behind a big plexiglass thing. And have you ever noticed how similar credit and debit sound? It sounds like credit, debit, like it sounds like exactly the same thing, and it's always the same question, and I'm trying to find a way to make that clear. It's, it's hard to hear these days. It's, it's hard to hear your friends or your, your co-workers on a Zoom call when they're muted and they're talking and they don't realize that they're, that they're muted. It, it's hard to hear your friend or, or to hear yourself when you choose to take the phone call outside in a walk and all you hear is like a windstorm going through their, through their phone. It's, it's hard to hear when we convince ourselves that we can somehow multitask while we're at work. We got the Zoom call open and we're shopping on Amazon on another tab or another window or we're on the phone and we're folding laundry and checking email and then someone asks us, so what do you think about that? And then you realize you haven't, you haven't been listening. You haven't heard what was going on, what was being said. How's your hearing uh, in the book of James, James is very concerned about hearing. Uh, today's uh, message is titled this. It's titled Wisdom About Hearing. James is concerned about hearing because hearing reflects the state of our heart. How we hear reveals what is going on in our heart. You see, God wants to give us wisdom, but the means by which we are to learn wisdom is through listening. We can't learn wisdom unless we listen to what God is saying. And so if we want to have a heart that is ready to receive the wisdom from above that we so desperately need in these times, loved ones, we've got to make sure that we are hearing, that we're hearing, because hearing reflects the state of our heart. Eric read to us earlier, let me read to you again what James says in verse 19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. He wants the people that he's writing to, he, that he cares about, they've been spread all around because of persecution. He used to be their senior pastor. He used to teach them face to face. Now he is writing to them. He wants to make sure that they are hearing properly. And he gives them this three-part hearing test. He, he, he says, how quick are you to hear? How slow are you to anger? And how slow are you to uh, to speak. And what he lays out there in verse 19 really creates an, an outline or a structure for what he's going to say in the next few verses. Let me show you what I mean on this, on this diagram here. So in verse 19, he says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. 
And on the topic of anger, he goes right from the last thing he said in verse 19. That's what he talks about in verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Then he talks about hearing in verses 22 to 25. And then he talks about our speech in verse 26. And these are the three parts, these three things that are related to the idea of hearing that James wants us to understand because hearing reveals the state of our heart. So here's the first question. Here's the first question on our hearing test today. Am I controlled by anger? Am I controlled by anger? James said that everyone must be slow to anger in verse 19. And then in verse 20, he says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. As we've been noting, as we've been going through the book of James, that James really is writing this letter with with the Sermon on the Mount open in his Bible. The Bible hadn't been written officially yet, but James had heard his older brother teach the Sermon on the Mount. He He had heard the disciples talk about what Jesus was always talking about. And James here is really just teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He's warning them about anger, warning them about passages like Matthew 5 from the Sermon on the Mount in verse 21. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother, that's about speech coming up later, will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. See, Jesus was always concerned about getting at the root. Where does murder come from? It comes from the root of anger. So Jesus wanted to deal with anger on the Sermon on the Mount. James wants us to understand the, how our anger affects our hearing and our inability to receive what God wants to say to us. James had just explained that God is the Father of lights and that He has brought us forth. We have been born into His family by the word of truth. That's what he just said in verse 18. We're part of his family. And as members of his family, we are supposed to take on a family resemblance. We're supposed to be chips off the old block. And think about God. Think about, now, some people think about righteous anger, and that's why James here is, is addressing that. Listen, the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Sometimes we think we are justified in our anger. But what kind of an anger? You see, because God's anger, righteous anger, moves at a snail's pace. When God wanted to reveal His glory to Moses at Moses' request on Mount Sinai, after the people had sinned with the golden calf, we we see God revealing Himself. He He hid Moses in the cleft of the rock, and then He passed by. And what did He declare in Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7? This description of what God is like. The Lord passed before Him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful full and gracious, notice this, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. If you're going to claim to have righteous anger, loved ones, it has to move slowly. If you're going to say, well, I can become angry because God is angry, or this person has sinned and it's right for me to, to be angry towards sin, all of that is true, but is it moving slowly? 
Because God, our Father, we are His children. His anger moves slowly. We are called to be slow to anger. Now, this doesn't mean slow to anger does not mean suppress your anger. And Paul says wisely in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Paul here was quoting Psalm 4, verse 4, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Give our anger to God. Cast every burden, every worry, every anxiety, every bit of anger or 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 wrath, everything that is welling up inside of us, give that to God and sleep knowing that He is in charge. Don't feel like you have to deal with everything and express everything right now in this moment. Be slow to anger. Let the sun go down. This, sometimes this verse is, is misinterpreted to think that i got to stay up all night. If I'm having an argument with someone, we got to resolve this before the sun goes down. It's getting late. It's almost tomorrow. we got to fix this. And that's just a bad plan. The idea is to trust, the, give it to God before the sun goes down. And then go to sleep. And then rest and trust that He is in, in control. Be slow to anger. We're supposed to be slow to anger. Again, this this isn't a command against being angry. There is such a thing as righteous anger. Just like when he says be slow to speak, he's not saying never talk. So when he says be slow to anger, he's not saying never be angry. He's just saying be slow to anger. Be careful because when we're angry, it's very hard for us to hear. It's very difficult for us to hear what's being said. So after warning that anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Look at verse 21. He says, therefore, in light of what anger does, he says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. See how anger is related to hearing? That if we put away our anger, if we put away the filthiness and the rampant wickedness that comes from our anger, then we will be able to receive the Word of God. Receive the implanted Word which is able to save our souls. So James, first and foremost, he calls us to purity. He says, put away that which is filthy. Put away the rampant wickedness. So much, we see this so often in Paul's writings where he says, put this off and put this on. That's what James is getting into here. He says that we've got to put away filthiness. Now, sometimes that word filthiness in Greek, it can refer to just actually being dirty. I was out in the yard, you know, yesterday getting dirty again, trying to battle those those weeds. And, And yet, and yet, at the end of the day, I've got to put those clothes off. I've got to be done with that. It, it, it can simply mean just, just dirt on our clothing. Like in James chapter 2, verse 2, when it, it talks about, what, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby, or the same word for filthy, also comes in. This is getting ahead in our, in our message next week on how do we treat these two individuals, the rich person and the poor person, but that shabby clothing is the same word that's used for filthy. 
But it can, also ref- it can also refer to moral cleanliness and moral filth, like Revelation 22.11 that says, let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy. Put it away. Put it away. Just like, just like Pastor Chris talked about with baptism, how water is a, is a symbol of cleansing. It's this idea that, that our old way of life has been put away and that's something that we have to continually do. That word rampant wickedness, rampant can mean remaining or residual. That when we become a Christian, we are cleansed from our sin. We are given a new heart and a new identity. And yet sin and wickedness still remains inside of us. And so every day we have to make that decision to not allow our anger to control us, to not allow filth to define us or the remaining, the rampant wickedness inside of us. We have to be done with those things. And then it says, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to receive, which is able to save your souls. So it's a call to purity. Put away the anger, put away the filthiness, put away the, put away the, the wickedness. And it's also a call to humility, to receive the word with meekness. Meekness. Again, James is staying close to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall, receive, they shall inherit the earth. The meek are the ones, the humble are the, are the people who will inherit the whole planet. Why? The meek will inherit the earth because the, the meek know that, that, that it's an inheritance. It's not something that's earned. It's not something that they deserve. When we're angry, it's because we think we deserve better. But someone who is meek knows what they truly deserve. They deserve God's judgment. They deserve to be punished for their sin. And so in meekness, They marvel that there is anything to to be received. And it's those who are meek, those who are humble, that that will inherit the earth because they know that they need something. The angry person thinks that they can fix it all themselves. The meek person knows and therefore relies on God. They receive the word and they receive the implanted word. Back in verse 18, he compared the Word of God to to that which causes us to be born. He uses sort of a a, a fertility uh, analogy, and now he's using an agricultural analogy, the implanted Word, the Word that is planted in the soil, that has been planted in our hearts. Again, James, he's not making this up. He's He's just, this is all stuff his older brother talked about, right? The seed being sown and the, the various soils that get planted into us, like Mark chapter 4 of verse 20, where Jesus said, but those that were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the Word and accept it and bear fruit. The meek receive the Word. They receive, they, they receive the Word that has been given to them. So, loved ones, are you controlled by anger? Or are you allowing the Word of God to speak to you? Are you allowing the Word of God to, to define who you are and how you react and how you respond? Because the stakes here are quite high. He says at the end of verse, 
21, he says that this implanted word, he says, is able to save your souls. The salvation here is expressed in the, in the future tense, that salvation is somehow something out into the future. Is James teaching some sort of works righteousness here? I mean, aren't we already saved? What does he mean when he says that, that the word is able to save us in the in the future. Well, in the New Testament, when we look at the word save, when we think about the concept of salvation, we see it really happening in three different ways. You've got a verses like this. Let me show you these verses on the screen. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved. It's past tense. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 talks about being saved. And Acts chapter 15, just like James chapter 1, talks about will be saved. Sometimes it's in the past, sometimes it's in the present, and sometimes it's used in the future. So we could summarize it like this. We, are, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And to really describe it even a little bit further, we have been saved from sin's penalty. That's already taken place. We are currently being saved from sin's power. That's what James is getting at with dealing with the wickedness, the filthiness, the anger in our lives. And then we will be saved from sin's presence. And then if you wanted to put biblical theological language or terms attached to this, the the past tense version of salvation is called justification. What we're living through right now of being saved from the power of sin is called sanctification. And then our future, what James is getting at here, is our future glorification, that our souls will be saved. And this is the implanted word. It's already been implanted in us. It's doing, it has done a work in us of justification. It is doing a work of us in progressive sanctification, putting away all of the filthiness and the rampant wickedness and the anger inside of us. And it will accomplish this ultimate work. It will save our souls at our ultimate glorification. So, loved ones, are you controlled by anger? As news of different restrictions being lifted or, or put on us from, from, the, uh, from our political leaders. When you respond to those things, are you responding with anger? When things happen around our house that disappoint us, when people let us down or annoy us, are, are we responding in anger, when, when people don't agree with our political perspective on this issue or on that issue, are we controlled by anger in those moments? Or are we controlled by the implanted Word of God inside of us, which is able to save our souls? So James says that the Word is living in us, and then he follows on this theme of the Word of God. Look with me at verse 22. He says, speaking of the Word that's been implanted, he says, be doers of the Word. So the Word is planted in you. You got to hear it. You got to deal with that anger so that you can actually hear the Word. You got to be meek. You got to be humble. You got to receive the Word. And once you've received it, you've got to do it. So here's the second question on our hearing test, because hearing reveals what's happening in our hearts. Here's the second question. Am I a doer of the Word? 
Am I a doer of the Word? There's lots of different ways that we can relate to the Bible. We can study the Word. We can read the Word. We can teach the Word. But are we doing the Word? That's the question that James wants us to answer. If your listening does not involve doing, you're not really listening. I've used this illustration before, but it's just that much more fitting because of the day that we're, that we're meeting together. It's, it's Mother's Day. And so kids, there are lots of times where you, are, you think you're listening, but you're not. If your mom says, go upstairs and clean your room, just because you have heard it and comprehended it does not mean that you are listening. You could memorize what your mom said. You could remember, yes, my mom wants me. I want to commit this to memory. She wants me to go upstairs and clean my room. You could sing songs about, about going upstairs and cleaning your room. Go upstairs and clean your room. Go upstairs and clean your room. You can sing all you want about it. You could get your friends together and talk about what does it mean to you to have your mom tell you to go upstairs and clean your room? How many stairs do we have to go up? How clean does the room need to be? What's the exegesis of that sentence? What does room mean in Greek? What are the Hebrew verbs for go that, that could be? No, you could do all of that thing, but you haven't listened until your feet have gone off the steps and your hands have cleaned your room. Be a doer of the Word. That's what James is calling us to do. And again, he's just referring to teaching from the Word that his older brother Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. Remember this memorable word picture in Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, hearing and doing, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Are you a doer of the Word? Then James uses an illustration of his own. You can see that uh, he had that same a family sense of humor like his older brother had. In verse 23, he says, if anyone's a, a hearer of the Word but not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. James paints this, this incredibly funny, this, this awkward story of someone who's looking in the mirror and they, 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 they can see, they notice, they see the, the poppy seed in the tooth. They see the, the crusty uh, sand in the, in the eye from, from sleeping. They see the pimple on the forehead. They see the hair out of place. I wish I had hair that could be out of place, but you know what I mean. And, and rather than doing something about it, they just go off for their class graduation photo. 
Or, or they go off to, to the business meeting or the Zoom call. They just saw what they looked like, and yet what they saw makes no impact on how they react or behave. That's what James is getting at here. And so, loved ones, what are we supposed to see when we look into the mirror? Look at verse 25. It says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Remember that idea of of persevering under trial, being steadfast. James has been talking about that all throughout uh, chapter 1. Looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. What are we supposed to see when we look into the mirror? Here's the first thing we're supposed to see. We're supposed to see our family resemblance. James 1 verse 18, that God is our Father of lights and that we, He has brought us forth by the word of truth. And so we got to see when we look in the mirror, we've got to see who we are in Christ. We've got to see our identity. And then, loved ones, you know what else we have to see? We have to see the filthiness and rampant wickedness that James is telling us to put off. Do you see that? Because he just told us to do that. He told us to put off all filthiness and rampant wickedness in verse 21. So we got to see that we've been brought forth by the word of truth, that the Father of lights is our Father, that we bear the family resemblance, we remember who we are, and then we look at how we're dressed, and the filthiness, and the anger, and the wickedness, and the worldliness, and we've got to say, I, I, I can't go on like this in light of who I am. And so, We make changes. We respond. Notice how the word is described as the law of liberty, the law of freedom. Now, we live in a world that would not understand that concept. Liberty and law is like an oxymoron in our culture today. That in order to actually experience freedom and fulfillment, there needs to be an absence of law. But loved ones, True freedom actually comes when we live within the right restrictions. And we also need to understand that that the law here is the law of liberty. We don't follow the law in order to achieve and accomplish liberty. No, we follow the law because we have already been set free. Think about the chronology of how the Old Testament unfolds. We just finished a series called The Storyline of Scripture. Remember that the Ten Commandments come in Exodus 20, not Exodus 2. In Exodus 2, the people are enslaved. God didn't send Moses to the people and say, hey, here's Ten Commandments, follow these, and if you do, you'll be set free. That's not how it worked. No, God performed these miraculous wonders. He demonstrated his power. He rescued the people on eagles' wings. And then he said, now follow these rules. Because you have been set free, here is how I want you to continue to live so that you can enjoy your freedom. And that's how it works for us. Loved ones, we don't follow the teachings of Jesus. We don't follow the Word of God, the law of liberty, so that we could somehow set set ourselves free. No, we have been made free. Jesus says if you hear His Word, we will be free. In John 8, He says we will be set free. And so, 
We need to understand that we get this in the right order. It is the law of liberty. It is the perfect law, the teleos law. He's been using that word, perfect, mature, complete. This, the Word of God gives us everything that we need to know how to live and enjoy the freedom that God has done for us. It says that we, if we look at this law, if we look at the perfect law and do it, we will be blessed in all of our doing. So we've got to take out the Word of God. We've got to look at it like a mirror. We've got to understand who we are in Christ. We've got to see the family resemblance. We've got to take off that which is filthy and dirty. Loved ones, also when we look at the mirror, we've also got to understand and recognize how forgiven we are. And this is how what James is saying now relates to the idea of anger. Because when we're angry, we forget what we deserve and we start to invent these things that we think we're somehow entitled to. And then when we don't get those things, we get angry at other people. Rather, if we look at the mirror and we remember how forgiven we are, and when we look in the mirror and we, we recognize how God has been so slow to anger towards us, then we turn around and look at different people in our lives and different problems in our life and different situations, and then we are able to respond and be slow to anger because when we look in the mirror, we understand that God has been slow to anger towards us. Remember Jesus told that parable about the servant who got forgiven for this massive debt and then started choking to death some person who, who, who owed them just a little bit of money? They, they weren't looking in the mirror. They didn't understand what they had been forgiven for. They were angry. They weren't meek. So how's this doing of the word thing going for you? I love what uh, Jerry Bridges uh, says about the Word of God. He asked this question. He says, are we proud of how much we know or humbled by how little we obey? Are we simply hearing the Word, sermon after sermon, reading books, listening to podcasts, or are we putting into practice what we are learning? Are we being doers of the Word. Here's three questions I try to ask myself every time I open God's Word. This is, these are the three questions that our small groups uh, reflect upon in their journals every time they get ready for uh, a small group gathering. It's look, learn, and live. First, look at, look, look in the mirror, look at the text. It's, what are my initial thoughts? What words stand out to me and why? What is the context? So we study it we look intently at the Word of God. Then we learn. What does this text teach me about Jesus, about the world, or about myself? What can I learn from here? And that's when we start to interpret the Bible and then live. Is God revealing to me a command that I can follow, a sin I need to confess, or a promise I can trust Him with. These are three simple questions that, that we can use on a daily basis to make sure that we're not merely hearing, but that our hearing is becoming doing, because how we hear reveals the state of our hearts. So our hearing test is, am I controlled by anger? Am I a doer of the Word? And then lastly, am I in control of my tongue? Am I in control of my tongue? This is the third thing that uh, James uh, outlined in 
in verse 19 where he said, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We've dealt with the hearing part. We've dealt with the anger part. And now James wants to talk about talking. He wants to speak to us about how we speak. He's got some words about our words. And here's the truth. You can't talk and listen at the same time. So if we're going to grow as listeners, if we're going to hear in such a way that allows the implanted Word of God in our hearts to take root and grow and not to give way to anger and to wickedness, we have to make sure like Brian Regan says, that we aren't using the time where the other person is talking to simply think and plan what we're going to say next. That's not the point of the conversation. When the other person is talking, that's not the time for us to be planning what we're going to say. That's not the time for us to interrupt them. That's the time to make sure that we're actually hearing them and that we are being slow to speak, not interrupting, not jumping to conclusions, maybe asking a clarifying question to make sure that we understand the other person's point of view. Loved ones, we, we, we need to hear this, especially in, in the world of texting and especially in the world of social media and posting. There's such this concern for immediacy, wanting to be the first to post or the first to like or the first to react or the, the first to, to sort of be on the cutting edge of being outraged about whatever the next thing to be upset about is. And we need, before we speak, before we type, before we assume we understand what the person's tone was, because it's almost impossible to understand tone when someone texts you or puts something in writing. Before we jump to the conclusion and jump all over them with our words, we got to be slow to speak. We got to make sure that we're actually hearing what the person is saying. We got to be. We got to make sure we. We know what God's Word is saying. We've got to make sure what we understand what our neighbor is saying, what our brothers and sisters in Christ are saying. Hear what James says about our words in verse 26. He says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle, which means control, like, like the bit in, the, in a horse that turns the horse from side to side, does not bridle his tongue, it says, but deceives his heart. Notice the connection here between the mouth and the heart. Now, where did James come up with that connection? You can, you can guess. Uh, from Jesus. Matthew 12, verse 34, Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, how we speak reveals how we hear how we speak reveals what's happening in our heart. How we speak reveals whether or not we are allowing the implanted Word of God to rule in our hearts. Now, we're going to have much more to say about this. Really, what James is doing here is he's just kind of outlining the whole book. He talked about anger. James chapter 3 is almost 
completely about anger and how we handle when we're angry with one another. He's, he's, he has a whole other section coming up about, about our tongue and our words. He has a whole other section coming up about faith and works and doing what we hear and believe from, from the Word of God. So there's going to be much more to say about what we say in the coming weeks as we go through the Word of God here together. But notice this, notice this theme of deception. Going all the way back to verse 16, he said, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. He doesn't want them to be deceived. And then look at verse 22. He says, If you are a, if you are a doer of the Word and, and a, not hearers only, and deceiving yourselves. He's concerned that they're deceived about God being the Father of lights. He's concerned that they're deceived in that they would only hear the Word and not do it. And then he's, deceived, he's concerned that they would be deceived in verse 26 because they, they think that they're religious, but they have no control over their tongue. And we also need to understand, James is going to say, the challenging predicament I find myself in as a Bible teacher, because James is going to say later in his book, listen, it's actually better if you don't teach the Bible, because you're going to be judged with greater strictness. Because we're all one day going to have to give an account for every word that we say. And so here's some questions that you can ask yourself right now to, to think about your words and uh, these questions come right out of the book of Proverbs. Here, here's the first question. When it comes to your words, are there too many? Are there too many words? Proverbs chapter 10 verse 19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. James here, or sorry, the author of Proverbs here really does a, it's a statistical analysis of speech. And he just simply says that the more we speak, the greater the likelihood that we're going to say something wrong. And so there is wisdom in saying less, in posting less. Again, we're just told to be slow to speak, to think about it, before we open our mouths, before we send that text, before we write that email, to be slow, to not allow anger to control us, but to allow the Word of God. So the first question is, are my words too many? Secondly, are my words too harsh? Are my words too harsh? Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I know when I get tired, and I'm sure this is true for you, I can be more short, more direct, more abrupt, more curt, more harsh with my words. And so we, we need to be careful, loved ones, as we're thinking about, about our speech, that we aren't using our circumstances or how we're feeling at the, at the moment as a license for us to speak harshly. One thing that, that I find helpful is to do the, to do the, the stranger test, because we're all, we're all living so close, in close proximity with the people who we love the most, our, our family, and yet 
so often the way that we speak to our family, the people that we love the most, the way that we speak to our spouse, the one who we promise to love and to cherish till death do us part, we speak more rudely and harshly to them than we would to a complete stranger. Sometimes, I know it sounds weird, but sometimes the way to really purify your speech is to think about your family like you don't know them. (laughs) And how would you speak? It, it, It seems absurd that it would need to get to that point, but sometimes we need to snap ourselves out of the familiarity that we have and sometimes the freedom just to say whatever comes into our mind and to make sure that we are not speaking harshly. So are my words too many? Are my words too harsh? Then are my words too hurtful? Proverbs 12 verse 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The book of Proverbs, again, just so brilliantly lays out this contrast. Our words can either hurt or our words can heal. And every time we open, this is why we need to be slow to speak. Because every time we open our mouths, this is an opportunity either to hurt someone or to bring healing and hope and health to someone. That's why we got to take it slow because we're, there, there's some real power in our words. And then lastly, are, are my words too quick? Are we truly being slow to speak? As we're advised in Proverbs 29, verse 20, it says, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So if we are going to have a religion, going back to James chapter 1, if we are going to have a religion that is not worthless, a relationship with God that is truly authentic, then we're going to have to speak in such a way that is slow, not being hasty in our words, to think before we speak. Loved ones, it's hard to speak and listen at the same time. It's also hard to speak and think at the same time. And we need to make sure we get those two things in the proper sequence, that we're thinking and then speaking. Because when we speak without thinking or speak without praying or speak without using the Word of God or the Spirit of God to lead us and to guide us, then we get ourselves into trouble. Don't be hasty in our words. I love what it says in Proverbs 17, uh, 28. It says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. So just, just by simply saying nothing, pe- people give you the benefit of the doubt <laughs> that, that, there's, that there's some wisdom there. But the problem is when we open up our mouths, then all, all the benefit of the doubt goes away. And so there's a great wisdom in restraining our speech. Mark Twain said, if God wanted us to talk more than we were to listen, He would have given us two mouths and one ear. Two mouths and one ear. But God's given us two ears and one mouth. And He wants us to hear rather than speak. He wants us to be quick to hear, slow to become anger, angry, and slow to speak. 
And so whatever you may face this afternoon or this week, loved ones, whatever we face in terms of the COVID-19 restrictions, whatever we face in terms of the the divided world, in terms of politics, in terms of social justice, whatever challenges we face in our church or in our family, loved ones, we need to make sure that we are following James' advice here, that we would be slow to anger, that we would be quick to hear, and that we would be slow to speak. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who has spoken, that your word is so powerful. You spoke the universe into existence. All of life exists in all of its beauty and its complexity because of your word. And God, I pray that we would be hearers of your word. And that because we are hearers, Lord, that we would put to death anger in our lives, that we would do and obey and apply and live out your word, God, and that we would control our tongues, Lord. Help us to be quick to hear and slow to become angry and slow to speak. Lord, make us, Lord, more in conformity to your image for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.